So this morning we are starting a new sermon series in the new year called Jesus Values, fill in the blank. What does Jesus value? And these are the core values that drive everything we do at New Life Fellowship. And they are the core values of, of our denomination that we're a part of. And the things that characterize what we believe is a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And these are not abstract things or things that are they're too difficult to understand. They're clear. They're things that are just clear and, and, and ways you can look at your life and say, how am I doing in my, in my walk with Jesus? How am I following him? So today we're looking at the first value. We may spend a couple of weeks on each of these. Jesus values the lost ones. And to look at this, uh, this value, we're going to look at Luke 19, a favorite for Sunday school kids who, ha- who feel like they have a lot in common with the very short man in the story. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed on a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This value that lost people matter to God is is a core of who Jesus was. It was his mission statement. The Son of Man, another name for Jesus talking about himself, came to seek and save what was lost. If Jesus came to seek and save what was lost, that's also our mission statement. As we look at the, this, this, uh, this piece of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this important piece, um, it's going to be a time where we're challenged. It's going to be a time where God speaks to us about maybe changing things in our lives in order to accommodate the work he wants to do. I just encourage you to be open to it because the more we follow Jesus in Jesus' way, according to Jesus' values, the more we're going to see the kingdom fruit that we are looking to see in this church. Before we get into this, I wanted to share a little bit of my life with you for a moment. Last week on Saturday morning, I was extremely tired. I had been up very late the day before. I had um, worked at New Life, finished up things for the weekend, and then I had drove an hour and DJed a retirement party. And uh, so, so this involved, after, after work here, I went into my basement and I lugged all of my gear, heavy speakers and stuff, packed it into my car, drove an hour to the event, unloaded the car, uh, set up all the equipment, changed into a suit, which is hard for some of you to picture, and um, then I was on for five hours just DJing this party, and it's apparently my job to get people to dance and have a good time, so I was on, you know? 
And uh, after that party was over, uh, you know, 10, 10.30, then it was time to, to tear down the equipment and carry all that stuff back down the stairs into the car. And by the time I got home, it was around 1 o'clock, and then I had to unload the car and put all the stuff down the stairs into my basement. So I was totally fried. And the next day, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. For, for some reason, on Friday morning, I thought that was a great day to do a very intense cardio workout, too. So <laughs> I was just like, oh, my goodness, my whole body is hurting. Uh, so after, after going to bed about 1.30-ish, I wake up to my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Naomi, slapping me in the face and saying, Dada, Dada, baby, 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 Dada. And this is what she does because uh, she doesn't like it when people have their eyes closed. Whether they're sleeping or praying, she will slap you in the face. So if you're, ever, if you're in a prayer meeting with Naomi, maybe when she's older it won't be the case, but she slaps people whose eyes are closed. But once your eyes are open, she's, she's done with you. She's done, when you're done resting, done praying, she, she doesn't want anything to do with me uh, for some reason. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute, I guess. Slap, slap, wake up. Oh, Naomi, come to daddy. No, 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 shh, 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 no. That's what she does. She says, she doesn't have many words. She just goes, shh, shh, no, no. I'm like, okay, so that, that was nice. So I got up, I had a shot of coffee, and I took my eight-year-old Olivia roller skating at a roller skating rink about 45 minutes away. Because Olivia had been talking about roller skating nonstop since Christmas. She got a new pair of rollerblades. She was all excited about it. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm really tired. I'll probably take her there for a little while. I'll watch her skate, listen to some Black Eyed Peas. I know, whatever it is, uh, whatever they play at the roller rink. But she really wanted to skate with me, so I rented roller skates, which I haven't done in a millennia. I haven't roller skated in a long time. And it's a really good exercise. It's like, a, it's like your core, your back, your legs. It's very good exercise. So I rented skates with her, and I was just, okay, go. she wanted to hold my hand. We're going around in circles. Um, the window to skate at this, this place was four hours, so I'm like, hour and a half, then we'll, we'll call it quits. We'll go home. Uh, so I said to Olivia, after we skated for a while, I felt like I did my due diligence. I said, okay, so we're going um, to do this for just a little while longer, then we'll head out. She goes, well, when does it close? I said, well, it's a four-hour window, so it's like four o'clock, and she goes, she goes, oh, let's stay the whole time. I really want to stay the whole time. I'm having so much fun with you. And so I stayed for the whole time. And I skated, and, and um, I knocked over some kids. Um, I got knocked over by some kids. You know, it, at one point I fell down in the, in the rink, and I honestly did not know if I could get up again. I thought, I've fallen, and I can't get up, you know, the whole thing. It was pretty, pretty humbling, but, but pretty fun. So after that, we, we drove 45 minutes home. So based on this story, what do you think my core values are as a father? Giving time. My core value is that my kids, they don't want quality time, they need quality time. To know that they are loved by me. And I've talked to enough people to know that if my kids know they're loved by me, they're much more likely to know that they're loved by God. So my core value is quality time, even when my body is in pain. No matter how tired I am or how much is going on, if my kids say they want to do something with me, if it's humanly possible, I'm going to do it. It's the same reason why I've made it a practice of whenever my kids come up to me, as kids do for physical affection, a hug or a kiss or whatever, I will always hug them and kiss them, hold them, whatever. Because 
I know from experience that no matter how I'm doing or how I'm feeling, you know, whether I'm feeling like I don't, want to, don't really want to touch anybody, let alone them, or they're on my last nerve and now they want to hug, all that kind of stuff, that when I hug them and hold them and kiss them and love them, that they experience love for me, and I know they're much more likely to be able to feel like they can come to God. That's just how it is. And no matter how much they've hit my last nerve and how much I'd rather just kind of, okay, I don't want to touch anybody, I'm going to lock myself in the bathroom, which, which every parent can identify with, I'm going to rise up and hug and kiss them and, not, and hopefully not squeeze too hard, you know. That's, <laughs> that's the danger when you're on your last nerve. Oh, I'll hug you. But my, it's a core value, you know. Quality time, physical affection, being available to them is a core value. And it's the same, it's the same kind of idea with core values as a church or a, as a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, you love God, and you're desiring to know God's will for you so you can walk in it on some level. At least that's what I assume of any person that's a follower of Christ. And for most Christians, once they understand with conviction what God wants them to do, they're going to throw themselves into doing that on some level even if they're not comfortable with it fully, even if it's not their number one desire in their, in their own self at that moment. Core values will drive you to do things that you would not normally do. If it matters to God, because we love God, we push through to receive the value and to value what he values, uh, not just with our minds, but with our lives, with our actions, what we do, which, which um, in the story of Zacchaeus, you can see, the evidence of salvation was what he did. That's how Zacchaeus went from lost to found. He turned. As we look at what God values, the good news is that the walk of faith following Jesus becomes a little less mysterious. We can know with certainty that we're doing something that pleases God. And we can see how we are progressing in our relationship with him. And that's good news. So we're going to look at Jesus' core values in this series. Today we're going to look at Jesus' core value, lost people matter to him. He wants them found. And then look inward to see if we give Jesus' values a little bit more than lip service, you know? Because I think that generally, if we talk about these core values, we'd all say, yes, that's what I want to be characterized by. That's good stuff. But then um, what we do actually tells a different story sometimes, you know, how we, how we live. So Jesus values the lost ones. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Hearing this value, how does that make you feel this morning? How does that make you feel? Depending on what's around your, in your head, it could be negative, it could be positive when you hear that value. If you're like me in any way, as a part of our world, as a part of our culture in Saratoga Springs, hearing that kind of language provokes this feeling of like in-group, out-group that's very... Uh, unpopular and even offensive to our ears. Like, no, who am I to say who's lost or found, right? How dare anyone consider another person to be lost, you know? It seems like a lofty thing to do. What right does a person have to make an assessment like that? Like, who's lost and who's not? And the answer is that no person has the right to make that assessment. Um, only Jesus does. Only God does. And Jesus said his mission statement in Luke 
is to seek and save the lost. We don't declare people to be lost. That's not what we do. Our Lord Jesus Christ does. And what motivates Jesus to consider people lost is his shepherd's heart to go out and find all the ones that are lost at great cost to himself so they can part, be part of this group called the found, which hopefully you're part of this morning. That's the heart of God, the heart of the shepherd, to find the lost and make them the found. He's looking for the lost. When you put it in that way, of, of, of a father looking for his lost son in Luke 15, of the woman looking, looking for a precious lost coin in the same chapter, of the shepherd leaving his safe sheep to find the one that's missing, you can see this beautiful truth beyond our defensiveness that Jesus, as a shepherd, loves and cares for people that are lost. It's beautiful. It's an expression of God's love and grace. And Jesus wants us to share in his heart for seeking and saving those who are lost. That is, that's what the Spanish congregation that's using our space is doing, seeking and saving the lost. That's why New Life is going to Varash in Bosnia. That's why we're going to Wilmington. That's why we're going to the Capital City Rescue Mission and many other things in the soup kitchen in Saratoga Springs. We do these things because we are actively positioning ourselves to value what Jesus values, even when we're tired and we don't feel like it. We're, we want to share in this shepherd-seeking-after-sheep thing. So what I wanted to learn when I, when I started on this sermon and studying for it was, what does Jesus consider lost to mean, you know? Have people just kind of like run with a meaning that's not true to Scripture, this word lost? So I looked up, up the Greek word uh, to understand what this word means, and the Greek word just doesn't sound very positive. It's apolumi, which sounds like apocalypse. So right away I'm like, oh, that's interesting, the Son of Man came to seek and save Apollomy, you know, this very dire-sounding word. Um, what about when lost is used in other parts of the Bible? What other words are used? Same word, over and over and over again. In the context of people that don't know, uh, have a relationship with God. It's a very dire word, very dire. The word lost in Scripture, including in this passage about Zacchaeus, when Jesus said he came to seek and save who was lost, is nothing less than destined for destruction. It's, it's pretty severe. To destroy, to put out of the, way, of the way entirely, abolish, to render useless, to declare one must be put to death, to devote or give over to eternal misery in hell, to perish, to be lost, ruined, destroyed. It's a, it's a dire word. And Jesus came to seek and save anyone who's on, on this path. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17-19, the Apostle Paul uses the term lost when he raises this hypothetical question of what it would mean for Christians if Christ had not been raised from the dead if, if, and, and if, if there was no resurrection. What would that mean for Christians? And Paul says, if Christ had not been raised, your faith would be futile. You would still be in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is not really mincing words in this hypothetical. He's saying that Jesus Christ dying and being raised from the dead is what took care of our sin problem that made us lost and doomed. And that if Jesus had not died and not risen from the dead, 
we would die with no hope. We would still be in our sins. We'd be utterly lost. Again, this word lost is translated the same way. Destroy, abolish, ruin. But the really good news in the midst of that is that Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. That was his mission statement. That's what he did. Because lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Jesus does not desire that any should perish. That's what the scriptures say. But that all should be saved from destruction. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says this. When people were complaining about the Lord's slowness in keeping his promises, it says in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. It's the same word for lost, but everyone to come to repentance. So why is God slow? Because he's merciful. He's trying to get people, trying to get more people. This is the heart of the good shepherd. And this is the core value that drives the good shepherd. And this is the core value that Jesus' spirit has. And this is the same spirit that dwells within every person who believes in Jesus and together as a church dwells within the church. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. And we could say, lost people matter to us. We want them found. Because we have the heart, the mind of Christ within us. So going through the story of Zacchaeus, it's really quite a good story. We're just going to go through this a little more slowly and kind of look at the good shepherd going after one of his sheep to see the heart of God. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Zacchaeus, he wasn't just a tax collector, which is universally not enjoyed by anyone even to this day. He was the chief tax collector. And this meant that he charged people taxes, as all the tax collectors did, but then took a little bit extra for himself. That's why the tax collectors were so hated back then. He charged normal taxes, then charged a little bit more for himself. But then Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He had other tax collectors underneath him who were also charging taxes and then charging a little bit for themselves. This is like the first Ponzi scheme. This is like... I can't say the name of a company without being sued, probably. Think about anything you've seen on Facebook that someone's trying to sell you. This is the pyramid scheme of pyramid schemes. This guy is hated. He's stealing from people and everyone underneath them. Verse 3. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Children do love this story because they can relate. Kids are always trying to see what's going on, trying to push forward in the crowd, trying to stand on a chair or a stool to see what's happening. But adults can resonate with Zacchaeus as well. Sometimes we feel like more spiritual people than us experience Jesus, but we only hear about him. We can't really see him. And we'd like to get in on the action if we could. But there's a voice inside of us that says, it's for some people, but not for you. you know, we feel like that sometimes. The encouragement to us today is that Jesus sees you in the midst of a crowd of people, screaming his name. He sees you just like he saw Zacchaeus. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. There's really no way around the fact that Zacchaeus was not only a sinner, but he was a notorious one. People knew him. He was lost in his sins, according to Jesus. Destined for destruction. A cheat, a thief, a very rich person who took other people's money and lived a life of luxury before everybody in his community as other people lived in poverty. You know, riches are a huge reason that many people really remain lost, according to the Bible. And especially in the book of Luke. In Luke 18, right before today's reading, Jesus had told the rich young ruler that in order to have eternal life and not to perish, not to be lost, he needed to sell all that he had and give his money to the poor so that he would have treasures in heaven. And the rich young ruler walked away sad, walked away sad because he was extremely wealthy. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, but hard. Because love of money is such a pitfall for, 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 for us and for other people. Um, and, the, and of course, the answer to someone with money is not necessarily sell everything and give to the poor. That was the answer for the rich young ruler. But we all have to reckon with the things that we put ahead of our relationship with God. That's the, that's the thing. Whatever it is, we've got to give it up and look to Jesus alone. So Jesus had been living his life, practicing for the day, when he would die in his sins and perish. That's what he'd been doing. He was very wealthy and lived this life for a long time. But the good news for Zacchaeus and the good news for us is that is exactly the kind of person that Jesus is looking for. Jesus is the good shepherd who came to seek and save what was lost. Verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, unlike the rich young ruler, who was unwilling to give up the one thing he loved more than God, Zacchaeus repented, meaning he turned. He changed his mind. He turned from his love of money which he proved by vowing to give payback and even four times every person he cheated. And as a result of that drastic show of faith, that, that fruit of what had happened inwardly was Zacchaeus. Jesus pronounced that salvation had come to Zacchaeus. Salvation from destruction. The proof was really in the pudding. Jesus was no, uh, Zacchaeus was no longer lost, according to Jesus. Destined for destruction. He was saved as he looked to love and follow Jesus above all things. And it was in this context where Jesus said his mission statement, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And the bad news is that according to the clear teaching of the Bible, everyone is lost apart from Jesus. But the good news is that through his death and resurrection, Jesus offers salvation to all who will turn from the things they love more than God and their sin receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is not only offering this, but he is actively seeking lost people because they matter to him and he wants them found and desires that none should perish. And this is the very work that Jesus invites us to join in. This is why we are talking about the things that are most important to Christ, his core values. Jesus invites us to value 
the lost ones and go with him, with the Spirit, to find them and bring them to a place of being found in Christ. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. So how are we living this core value of Jesus in our world is the question. How are we positioning ourselves to be around people that do not know Jesus, to build relationship with them, to love them, and to see what God does? How are we doing that? This will be made available uh, next week. But there, John Soper, who did our Mission 119, and also wrote out the core values that we're talking about today uh, for our denomination as a reflection of Christ's core values, he made this assessment where we can kind of say, lost people matter to us. We want them found like Jesus does. Here's some of the questions that John posed to, as we search our hearts. He, he, he uh, even said you can rate yourself from one to five on these things. So number one, I spend time on a regular basis strengthening relationships with friends who do not yet identify themselves as Christ followers. That's, you know, rate yourself one to five. Am I, is this something that's a core value for me? Two, I've had at least one spiritually significant conversation in the last seven days in which I shared my story. One to five. There's a group of pre-Christian people for whom I regularly pray. One to five. I regularly use my spiritual gifts and resources to express Christ's love for outsiders, quote-unquote, one to five. I can name at least three unbelievers who would identify me as a good friend to them, one to five. And I've had a part in seeing someone turn toward Christ in the last six months, one to five. Lost people matter to God. The question is not if we, we say they matter to us. The question is what do we do? How do we make this a priority in our lives? Um, as we consider what Jesus is calling us to, this is, going to impl- this is going to require some change from us. For someone like me, it's super challenging because I work in a church. <laughs> There's so many Christians all over the place. I have to get out of here. You know? That's why I love to DJ. That's a big part of why I love my, my DJing. I get to meet people and share with gotten the opportunity to share with them. That's why I love finding a place downtown that I can haunt for at the same time, every week, get to know the people that work there. You know, we have to get out there. We have to position ourselves to be like the good shepherd and find the sheep. Because Jesus is more invested in this than we are. He wants them found. And he's looking for them. He's looking for bodies, for people like us to come alongside him in this work of finding them. So it, it, what is the answer for you? Is, is it a mission trip like Varash or Wilmington? Is it um, just a change in your life in some of these areas? Is it just beginning to pray and asking God to give you this heart for people that do not know God? Uh, Whatever it is for you, this is something we need to think about and evaluate. And we're going to continue to talk about these things as we go forward. Um, I'm very thankful. I I can just share this. So this this past week, I was working on this sermon, Lost People Matter to God. He wants them found. And I had a real test of whether this was a core value for me. Because my sermon was cobbled together and not finished on Friday, and I needed to get out of the office in a few hours. And someone who didn't know Jesus just stopped by the office to talk and to pray. So my core value said, ditch the sermon. And so I did. And God's grace helped me to put this together. If you hated it, it's because I wasted time with someone that doesn't know Jesus. That's what. (laughs) 
wasted time. But, you know, I'm thankful that God's been bringing people that don't know him, like, off the streets into the office. Like, that's kind of weird, but that's been happening lately for me. Um, but generally, we have to go where they are. We have to find people and love them in Jesus' name. It's not about us being in-group, out-group. It's about us saying, like, we were all lost, and now we're found. Come and, f- come and meet the good shepherd that I've met, right? It's, a, it's an awesome work that God's calling us to. So um, just talk to Jesus, you know. What, what can you be doing to make this a core value and how you actually live your life this week? in this coming year. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.